the Bermuda Triangle. How many people went to the Bermuda Triangle at SeaWorld? You know what I'm talking about? Yeah, I've only got Kelly. So the rest of you never been on the Bermuda Triangle? You weren't on that one? Okay, okay, got a few more. The Bermuda Triangle, 1994. And it was the newest attraction at SeaWorld. And, and we were told about this ride. They were advertising it. And so we decided we're going to go. We're going to go check this ride out. And let me tell you, there was a lot of excitement. There was a lot of buzz. You know, come and see this new ride, the Bermuda Triangle. Angle, angle, angle. And so there was this long, long lineup. And we were prepared for it because... It's a new ride. And they told us this is an amazing ride, the Bermuda Triangle. We were willing to wait as long as it took because this is going to blow your mind. And so we were there in line. And you know what you do when you're in line? You just try and figure. This is before the Internet, okay? This is before there were mobile phones. We're talking ancient. All the kids are like, 1994. Wow, that was like, just think about this. If you're like my age, 1994 was like talking about like 1970, you know, that's what I'm thinking, you know, of those years ago. But no, it was only 1994 and Bermuda Triangle. There are no mobile phones. How do you keep yourself busy waiting in line with no mobile phones? You ever think about that before those days and you had mobile phones, you know? Yeah, I'll just stand in line. I'm just flicking through the news feeds, social media. What's the latest thing going on right now? I might play a game while I'm in line. And you didn't have that in 1994. So what do you do? You just talk. You just talk, you know, and you're starting to run out of stuff. So you start talking to the neighbors around you. Hey, so, you know, hey, what do you think of the Bermuda Triangle? Yeah, I can't wait. This is going to be amazing. And this is outside. This is before one to cover the, the, the full sun. It was a sunny day, summer. It was hot. We're sweltering. We didn't care. We're going to the Bermuda Triangle. We can't wait for this ride. So big, long lineup. We're sweating profusely. We're getting burnt in the sun. I don't really get burnt. I do get burnt. But by the next day, it's just a tan, okay? Praise the Lord for good skin. And so I don't care. I'm all right. And then we finally get undercover, and that's when it begins. And you hear this voice, okay? And you see some video. Starts with the voice. You don't see the screens yet, you know. Be ready for the Bermuda Triangle, 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 Triangle. Everyone's like, oh, you know, and as you get closer, and remember, we're talking in over an hour, just waiting in line. You finally get to see the computer screen. Remember, we didn't have like LED TVs. We didn't have that, you know, more than that. It was that used to be like plasma screens. And that was like you, you know, and it was big screens. We've never seen anything this big. And they're showing us the views of the Bermuda Triangle. Lots of aircraft have been lost in this region of the Bermuda Triangle. Ships, battleships have been lost in the Bermuda triangle i think amelia Earhart was lost in the bermuda triangle and the mystery is increasing we're getting excited oh my goodness this ride is going to be amazing and it keeps going and amped up at that time remember they're just opening the ride their ride attendants out there getting us g'd up you ready for this ride yeah you ready for this ride yeah there's more of the voice over happening and there's more of the screens of thinking this is going to be the most exciting ride of my life and finally we're at the head of the line and we're climbing into that boat you know watch your hands and hands and make sure that you get no devices put make sure that your hats and your glasses are put under your legs make sure your seat belts are securely fastened and then they put down the thing and you're ready to go and like, Woo! Woo! 
look, I wait for this ride. And then the thing turns around on this wheel thing because it was like this roundabout, you know, ra- thing. Once you stand on it, you're going around meeting the boat. The boat flo- uh, is floating with you. You hop in and then it releases. And then you're going up this little thing and it was over in 30 seconds. For this? We waited an hour for this? That was it? It was just a few screens. Oh, beware the Bermuda Triangle. We already saw that in there. We're waiting. Beware the Bermuda Come on. That's over now. Do something new. And it wasn't. It was just the same thing. It was a disappointment. We've been reading from the scripture, John chapter 1. I want you to turn there with me. And I'd begun reading from verse 35. And, and uh, I said last week, I'm not going to do a, an exegetical teaching. I'm not going to open up that scripture a particular way and just focus on one verse. But I just wanted to preach. I wanted to show you a few things I felt the Holy Spirit wanted you to take notice of. And I want you to take some notes this morning. Go to John and chapter 1. I was sharing last week that when I was journaling John chapter 1 this year, I couldn't get out of that chapter. I kept going back over and over every day. John chapter 1, John chapter 1, John chapter one there was something in there that God has for us while you're turning there I don't know if you're aware I've been looking at the news feeds but at oh man I I had the uh, word this morning one of the universities a Christian university in the United States is revival happening right now I mean right now it started on Thursday and it has been working its way through to this day it began as a chapel it was meant to be just the worship part of the service and that was it the worship didn't end It just kept going. People were weeping and people were crying in the presence of God. The Holy Spirit was moving so powerfully that the students and the faculty, they were broken and they realized we can't leave this place. If we leave this place, we will be forsaking something that God is doing. There's a revival that is breaking out right now and they didn't want to miss out. And it's been continuous for 24-7. It's just the worship keeps going, this prayer, spontaneous worship. And then there's more prayer and the stuff. And they're praying that this will break out globally. People are now starting like they did in previous revivals to come and visit this university. I'll I'll put a link on our family page. If you're not part of that family page, let me know. But it is powerful what God is doing right now. As we were praying this morning at 845, Bransford came up. It started with the word from David saying that there's a shaking, you know, that we need to have a shaking like a bottle, carbon, carbonated drink. You know what you do when you shake it and then you take the cap off. It goes everywhere. There's a shaking going on. And then uh, Ransford was, was sharing about the shaking that was going on, the earth shake, the earthquake in Turkey. Uh, sorry, it was in uh, Palestine, they called it. There's no land really in Palestine, but they're talking about the Middle East kind of area. It was, that was a political point but there was an earthquake so serious there i think that was ten thousand people they're saying are are dead and they're fearing the the numbers will climb there are many more that are just out of their homes and uh as uh, ransford is sharing uh, the holy spirit was was reminding me this is the thing with the prophetic you see signs in the heavens above and wonders on the earth below signs and wonders signs and wonders god is doing something right now there is a shaking going on and there is this that happening here then there's a revival breaking out there and i I'm, I'm seeing there's a correlation between the two i'm not saying that this is about you know uh, uh, you know the destruction of lives i'm broken by the destruction of lives in fact let's just take a minute right now just to pray for the people in turkey and those surrounding nations father in the name of jesus we lift up the nation of turkey lord god we lift up those nations that they 
call Palestine, all those areas right there. Father, those that have been wrecked with destruction, Lord God. We heard of 10,000 people that have died so far and the numbers are climbing. We hear, Lord God, of people that are still being found, that if they don't find them very, very shortly, Lord God, they will die of starvation. There's no, there's not enough water. Father, we are praying for rescue to happen. We're praying for people, Lord God, who are trapped to be found, Lord God, to be rescued. We pray for those families that are without homes, without power, without water. Lord God, that you would come to their aid. We pray for compassion, Lord God, to erupt in the hearts of the nations, for compassion to erupt in our hearts, Lord God, that we would be moved by these things, Lord God, that we'd be moved to try and find ways to help, try and find ways to give. So Father, we pray right now that, Lord God, you bring mercy, that you would bring grace, you'd send aid, Lord God, to this to these nations that have been wrecked right now by this destruction. And we're praying, Lord God, stay your hand. And we pray, Father God, even as we see that happening in the world, that, Lord God, we will see that revival will break out across the nations. Revival will break out across the nations. In Jesus' name, all God's people said, amen and amen. I hope you will not be quiet today. I hope you will not play the game of church with me today, but that you would join me in preaching this message. God has something for you today. You ready for the word? I'm not hearing you. Ready for the word? Come on. Follow with me in verse 43. If you're just joining us today, we're talking about the context is this. Jesus is calling the first half of his disciples. And you'll have to catch the message from last week because we're going to continue. Verse 43. The next day. Jesus decided to leave for Galilee. Finding Philip, he said to him, follow me. Do you notice that he wasn't uh, specifically moving out of his way to go and find somebody, but he, it was just in his way. He was doing the normal course of business when he found Philip. I don't know what Philip was doing. Was he manning a stall somewhere? Was he just walking completely unaware on the road somewhere? Was he in his home that Jesus knocked on the door and said, I need to visit you. What's your name? Philip. Well, Philip, I want you to follow me. We don't know the context of the story, but this much we do know that it was in the normal course of life. That he went out of his way to talk to this person. I want to encourage you with this thought that today in this message, again, the title is Come and See, part two. Come and see that the in some entirety of your salvation is not about you getting saved. You're very quiet here. It's not just about you. I want to tell you that your destiny is unlocked. If you're wondering about those prophetic words and people say, oh, God's got a great destiny for your life. God is going to use you in powerful ways. And yet you still just come to church. You maybe go to a connect group and that's about it. And that's if a sun, there's nothing better on a Sunday. Then can I put it to you? Can I just challenge you with this thought? Maybe you need to go back and repent to the Lord. Maybe your experience was not as life-transforming as you thought it was. Maybe you lost your first love and we need to go back to that first love. Because when we found Jesus, we were like little, you know, teenagers in love, you know. I love you. I love you. No, I love you. No, I love you. We couldn't help but tell anybody. I'm seeing this girl now. Her name is Tanya. She's she's a babe. She's a drop that. Oh, I saw her in church. Yeah, she's fine. Like, yeah, you know, next person I'll have the same conversation. I can't help myself because I'm besought with this girl. I can't help myself. And that's what it was like when you were first saved. Do you remember those days? 
For some of you, it's so long ago that you have lost your first love. You have lost your heart and your affection for God. And you've been playing the game of church for so long you've forgotten who He is. Because if you're in love with someone, you can't help but talk about it. Even in my conversations today, I talk about my wife. I love her so much. I talk about my wife. I even talk about how we first met. I talk about the things that went on. I talk about the things that we do today. Because why? Because I love her. It hasn't changed. In fact, our love has grown deeper, which means I should be talking more about it now than I did previously. Oh, you're very quiet today. Because if you are genuinely saved, if you genuinely repented, if there was a genuine change, then you should be producing fruit in keeping with repentance. I just got real all of a sudden. Jesus is just doing his normal stuff. He was just walking where he was supposed to be walking. The Bible tells us he's going to Galilee. It doesn't say Jesus moved by the Spirit of God, went to find Philip. It doesn't say that. It just says he went to Galilee and on the way he finds Philip. In your journey, God is calling you in a conversation in that moment. And it may be a complete stranger. It may be a neighbor. It may be a friend who doesn't know the Lord. Even if they do know the Lord, share your stories because you're so excited you can't help it. Let me tell you this. In order for your destiny to be unlocked, in order for you to step into the things that God has for you, for every prophetic word to be established, it is necessary for you to open your mouth and tell people, come and see, come and see. Philip like Andrew and Peter, was from the town of Bethesda. I'm in verse 45. Have a listen to this. Philip found Nathanael and told him, We have found the one Moses wrote about in the law and about whom the prophets also wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. All right. He's, he's so excited because I met Jesus. I met Jesus. It's so exciting. I got to tell you, I met Jesus. Come on. Come on, Nathaniel. This is the most exciting day. I can't take. We've been waiting for this as a people for centuries of prophecies about a Messiah coming. I met him is Jesus of Nazareth. You see, when you're so profoundly moved by Jesus because you met him and you had an encounter with him, you can't help but share this. I was in the car sharing with one of uh, Tanya's colleagues as we went to uh, a wedding yesterday. And uh, on the way back, we're just talking about the Lord because that's my first love. That's our all uh, collectively our first love. We're talking about this and we all came to the same point. We said that if you genuinely love the Lord, you can't help yourself but share it. That is the fruit of repentance. You can't help but share. It was like a common understanding. I'm sharing with my students this week in Certificate 3 Ministry and Theology, sharing with them, and I ask that question, is it enough to believe that Jesus is God to be saved? And some people, you know, they don't know that I'm going to set them up. Yeah, 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 it's, it's really good. And I pulled out that verse, you know, hey, even the demons believe that he, Christ is Lord and they tremble in fear. And we don't even tremble with fear anymore. We sin on purpose and have no remorse, no shame. There is no guilt at all. It's gone. 
What happened to those days? Because when you encounter Christ, when you encounter Jesus, there is such a profound impact upon your life that you can't help it, that you've got to share the word. Hallelujah. Look at what, look at what Daniel replies. I mean, there is this big thing that Philip is sharing. Come and find him. I found the Messiah. He is the most amazing thing that you've ever seen. If you just spend a moment in his presence, he will transform your life. He is Jesus of Nazareth. Look at the reply that Nathaniel gives. Verse 46. Nazareth? Nazareth? Can anything good come from Nazareth? It was a saying that they had at that time, Nazareth, can anything good come out of Nazareth? It was a saying. Why was it a saying? Because if you understood the topography, the socioeconomics of that nation and what they were all about, you would discover that this particular country, this particular town, sorry, was actually in the dumps. It was a hole. I mean, I am not kidding you when I say it was a hole. It was a hole in the ground. Nazareth was literally set in a small basin, surrounded by hills all around, and it wasn't very accessible. It's hard to get to. It did have a water supply, right, from what we call today's today Mary's Well. And there is evidence of some limited terraced agriculture on the hills, right? As well as pasture fields. But since the town wasn't located on a roadway, remember all the roads and highways were in the hills above Nazareth. There was no road to Nazareth. There's no highway to Nazareth. No one went to Nazareth. And that's why they said people don't go through Nazareth unless they specifically wanted to go there. It was a place that you'll find that some commentators say was a place of just uh, filth. They were just morally bankrupt. In fact, I was doing some searching and some, some commentators state that some of the people were mixed. They were Samaritans. So they had some Gentile blood in them. So again, the Jewish people in the surrounding hills are looking down at the valley saying, you don't want to go to Nazareth. Can anything good come from Nazareth? Let me tell you this. Jesus from Nazareth was unexpected. Jesus from Nazareth was not logical. I'm miserably saying Jesus from Red Bank Plains. You laugh because you think, what are you talking about? Red Bank Plains is the most amazing suburb in the entire country in Jesus' name. I remember in my last church I was... Uh, preaching, I was trying to use an example of like a Nazareth. I remember saying, you know, in Inala, and then a few of them stood up, we're from Inala. Like, oh no, I'm so sorry. I said, Jesus from all the way over here. See, I told you, I'm going to step into it. Jesus from Ipswich. Jesus from Bandamba. Can anything good come from Goodna? <laughs> How many people from Goodna? Can I see a show of hands? I got a few from there. Well. Of course it's going to happen. Have you ever been despised, written off, or mocked? Let me tell you, if, you, if you've been alive long enough, you have been despised, you have been written off, you have been mocked. I remember when I was serving in church leadership, I had no aspirations whatsoever to be a pastor. I was just completely sold out to Jesus that whatever he wanted, I would do that. No matter how painful it was, no matter what the sacrifice was, I would do it because Jesus and I had come to an arrangement. 
He is my absolute Lord and Savior. He's my master, and I am his servant. Whatever he wants, he gets. And I told him that, literally told him that, whatever you want. He says, I want you to serve here. And I remember I... I was serving, I was singing in singing ministry and playing guitar, and I was there every week, and we had two services, Sunday morning, Sunday night, back in this day. It was a very large church. And I remember that uh, eventually I thought, man, we should, we, we don't have a young adults group. We should start a young adults group. And so I'm looking around. I started speaking to young adults. That's just, we want to hang out after lunch. Uh, I mean, after church and have lunch. And I said, yeah. So we would do that every week after church. We'd go out and have lunch together. We began to build friendships. We began to build connections, just heart to heart. It was powerful. It was wonderful. And then I thought, wouldn't it be great if we had a camp? Let's just establish the young adults. Let's do a camp. I remember those a brand new couple that had come to the church that had been going maybe a month. So I asked him, hey, Phil, would you mind booking? Because I know you, you do these outdoor events. Could you book a place for us so that we can do a camp out, a camping trip? He goes, yeah, I know just the place. So we went to Noosa, North Shore. And so we got all these guys organized and it was incredible. It was powerful and it was solidified. And I said to them, how would you like us? How, how about we get together regularly weekly and have a young adults group and they said that is amazing let's do that yeah let's do this long story short moving forward ahead in the future the leadership of the church chose that brand new couple and completely neglected myself and my girlfriend at the time tanya to lead this group it was our idea we brought people together completely bypassed it and again you know what i'm hurt <clears throat> yes that was a little bit of offense but i'm gonna let it go because I know that God planted me in this church. And no matter what happens here, I trust my pastor. And I know he will make mistakes. I trust my pastors. A lot of pastors there. I trust my leaders. And they're going to make mistakes. It doesn't matter. I don't care. Because all I know is I am a servant. Why should a servant care? Whatever he wants he gets. And if he planted me here, knowing the mistakes these guys are going to make, knowing the good things they're going to make as well, then I'm in the right place at the right time. And I'm going to deal with my emotions and work through it until I get stronger on the other side. I remember when I became a, a pastor, my senior pastor at that time, and called me on onto the team. And he met with me one time and he, and he started sharing with me. He says, Paul, I, I must apologize to you. And I remember the worship, uh, he was an associate pastor, senior associate, I was the associate, and he was also the worship pastor at that time. And, and he began sharing with me, he says, you know, Paul, I, I, I got to tell you, you were blacklisted in that church. Blacklisted? What do you mean? We were told under no uncertain terms, do not, never appoint Paul into a position of leadership. I said, why? We don't actually know. <laughs> we were just told never to do that by the senior pastor. Why? I mean, by this time, I'm, I'm in a new church anyway, and I had a good heart. And as I served in that church, and, and I, was, I was really hurt. I mean, I was hurt. I was over it, but I was, still was hurt because it was. I thought it was the case. But now to have it verified, in fact, this, se this senior associate as well, he says, I got to apologize to you. My wife and I heard that, and we believed that, and we never saw in you the man of God that you are today, that you are a pastor, that God has called you, that God has a purpose for your life, that God is going to use you for great things. And I was just weeping as I'm hearing this, thinking, God, God, I'm so glad you shielded me from that because I didn't even know. All I knew was that I'm a servant. 
And all I knew was that I needed to serve you and I needed to serve this leader. I mean, this, this person that they pointed as a young adult's pastor, I served him anyway. He made mistakes, but I still served him. He wouldn't listen to advice. I still served him. He fell into immorality, got kicked out. They still didn't appoint me. They picked someone else. At the end of their interim term, they said, hey, Mitch, who do you think could take over? Well, it's, it's always Paul and Tanya. They're running the show. They're doing the entire thing. I just rock up there and preach. That's it. They do the whole thing. They still wouldn't do it. I couldn't get it. But you know what? It didn't matter. Because I wasn't doing it for me. I wasn't doing it because I needed the accolades of man. I wasn't doing it because I needed to be noticed. I did it because God planted me in this church. And I will not shift from this church unless God tells me, you are leaving today. I refuse to leave that place. No matter how painful it was, no matter how hard it was. Let me tell you, there's some wonderful, wonderful moments. I was so blessed. I was so moved. I came into revival in that place. God moved in that place because I humbled my heart. Can anything good come from Nazareth. Not only does he come from Nazareth, and that's questionable, but Jesus is the unlikely hero here. He's the unexpected one. He's the one that was written off. Have you seen his family history? He's got, he's got Gentiles in his line. Ruth, the Moabite, there's a prostitute, Rahab, in his line. There was even incest in his line as the father, Judah, one of the you know, patriarchs, slept with his daughter-in-law because he promised her something that never happened in air, and she did that. It's like, it's so messy. It's so bad. And then he's born into a poor family, a family of carpenters. I had to look this up. What are the jobs that the people of Israel and the people of that time despised? One of them was, yes, tax collector, absolutely top of the list fishermen carpenters they were all rejected turn to the person next to you and say you are not a loser <laughs> who said anything about being a loser who said anything about that but that's what they thought you were born into it and you couldn't help it you're just you know oh, oh i see god bless you that basically means you're a loser one american say oh god bless you don't think it's a, an actual praise it's it's they're not trying to bless you you know Billy fell off the banister, broke and said, oh, God bless him. They're basically saying, he's, he's stupid. <laughs> God bless you. Jesus is the unlikely hero. Here's the best part about it. His birth was questionable. A virgin birth? Really? <laughs> Acts chapter 4, verse 11 to 12 tells us it was prophesied. This is a, in Acts chapter 4, uh, the, the apostle is quoting from the Old Testament. He says, Jesus is quoting from Scripture now from the, from the Old Testament, the stone you builders rejected, which has become the cornerstone. Salvation is found in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given to mankind by which man can be saved. You might be rejected. You might be the person they overlook. You might be the person that people blackball. But can I tell you today that God loves you, that God has a plan and a purpose for your life, that God is going to use you for greatness, that God is going to bring you to a place where people will recognize, oh my goodness, I thought nothing good can come from Nazareth. Jesus was raised in obscurity. Why? Away from the prying eyes of a large city. He was raised humble. I wonder how many leaders have been taken out because they were noticed too early. 
that they did not recognize that God was trying to break them, that God was trying to deal with the humility of the heart because once there is humility there, the Bible says, God opposes the proud, but He gives grace to the humble. You should never be ashamed of where you came from. Your people, your culture, your upbringing, your past mistakes, your past shame, your past failures, they don't identify you. They identify you then, but they don't identify you now. They identify your past, but so many people are living think, and bringing their past with them. I am the loser. I am the loser. I'm the loser. People say, what are you talking about? You are great in the eyes of God. You are amazing. How can you say these things? But so often, we belittle ourselves because we believe the lies that people say about us. The world had done an incredible job of downplaying who Jesus is. They mocked him. They ridiculed his name. Christianity as it stands even today infuriates some people. The thought that anything good can come from worshiping Jesus of Nazareth. People mock that. They mock you for even coming here to meet. And yet here's Philip saying, come and see. Come and see. You haven't seen nothing yet. You haven't met this Jesus. I know you mock him. I know you question where he comes from. But I want to tell you, when you meet him, your life will change. I remember... Uh, I'd come back from the state. Some of you know I had to go on an emergency trip to the U.S. for a week. And uh, unfortunately, my, my uncle didn't make it and I had to officiate his funeral. But I brought back with me gifts. You can't go empty-handed as a dad. So I had gifts for all the kids. And uh, for myself, I reserved some big red chewing gum. Anyone know what big red chewing gum is? I, of course, my kids. It's cinnamon-flavored Chewing gum. I don't know why Australians don't like it, but it's unbelievably amazing. It's like eating, chewing a cinnamon roll in your mouth. And the flavor is so powerful, the taste doesn't go away. In fact, the longer you chew it, the more your mouth burns and tingles because it's so powerful. I remember offering it to David for the very first time. And he said, would you like a big red? He said, oh, no, 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 Dad. I don't like it. I don't like it. I said, son, just try. No, I don't like it. I said, have you ever tasted it? No. But is it spicy? I said, it is spicy, but I tell you, you're going to like it. Come and see. No, 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 I don't like it. I said, just have a little nibble. And that's all it took. It was the same look that my daughter Eden gave me when she was a little baby, and I fed her ice cream for the first time. My wife says, you can give her a taste. I give her a big spoonful. <laughs> her eyes lit up. It's like, oh, my goodness. Where have you been all my life? And that was my boy. His eyes are huge. He goes, oh, my goodness. Can I have another one? Can I have another one? Can I every single day? Can I have two and you have one? No, it doesn't work like that. I brought that for me. I brought you something else. And he loves it. But here's the thing. How can you know what you're missing until you've tasted and seen? Psalm 34 verse 8 tells us, taste, you, it's okay, you're allowed to do that because God's word is so good. Taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the one who takes refuge in him. Taste and see. You see, you're meant to taste and see that Jesus is good. 
That's why our church motto is experience Jesus. Because once you've had a taste of that, you're going to be just like me. Come and see. Come and see. Have you met Jesus yet? Oh, I've heard about him. I don't know about you Christians. No, no. Come and see. Can anything good come from Nazareth? Come and see. Oh, I don't know about you Christians. No, come and see. Have you ever tasted Jesus? Well, I heard all about it, but have you met him? No. Come and see. You see, the gospel isn't simply something that sounds good to the ear. It's meant to taste so good, it'll change your life. My mom could cook. And man, I mean, if you can sing, you sang, you cook, you caked. I don't know. I can't, I can't have the, the thing here. I do, do it justice. But she could cook. She could cook. I mean, here's this uh, Jewish lady, you know, and she learned how to cook Asian food because my dad was Indonesian, and she made all these dishes from scratch. I tried to learn from her how to make the stuff. I said, Mom, I just want to, you know, learn how to make the curry you do. She goes, okay, you put a little bit of this, and you put a little bit of that. Well, how much did you use? Oh, you just put a little bit till it tastes good. How do you know that it tastes good? It just tastes good. How do you know that? We just throw some stuff in. And we're going around in circles and circles and circles. But the stuff she made, I think you're going to make angels sing. Oh, it wasn't that good. But let me tell you, nothing can compare to Jesus. Taste and see that he is good. I don't know why Nathaniel pushed back. Did you notice that Nathaniel was the first one to push back? You see, each one that Jesus spoke to, none of them pushed back. When Andrew invited his brother Simon Peter, he didn't push back. They all agreed except for this guy. It makes you wonder, like, what, what happened to this guy? What happened to Nathaniel that he would be so skeptical that he already assumes the worst in people? I hope that as a people that we don't harbor this, this bitterness of heart, this disappointment that we might have had in the past. And you might have tried to read the Bible in the past. You might have tried to understand it didn't work then, but today's a new day. The Holy Spirit wants to move upon you. And you need to understand that when you begin to open your eyes and say, I want to taste, I want to see that God is good, the Word begins to open for you. Can I encourage you, even though your friend may be skeptical, Bring them to Jesus. Even though they might come kicking and screaming, bring them to Jesus. Even though they have, might have preconceived notions, no, 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 no. Bring them to Jesus. Let them come and see for themselves. You look after the bringing. God looks after the seeing. Amen. Woo. Listen to what Jesus says in verse 47. When Jesus saw Nathanael approaching, he said of him, Here is a true Israelite in whom there is nothing false. Did you get that? You're like, well, what are you talking about? Jesus says something that is quite powerful and profound. Let me explain. The name Israelite comes from the name of the patriarch Israel. Israel was a name that God gave to a man called Jacob. Do you know what the word Jacob means? Jacob means deceiver, liar, usurper. That's what, that's what Jacob means. But there was a moment when everything changed because Jacob wrestled with God. He saw an opportunity. All he knew, I mean, this is weird. There's an old guy, because I always pictured a young guy. He's about 80 or 90 years old. 
When he sees, he's at a campfire, he sees this guy just come up to the campfire, warm his hands. Next minute, they're in a wrestling match. Go figure. With a 90-year-old man, and this cantankerous old man refuses to give up to the point that the angel, obviously trying to operate, which we find out is God later, trying to operate like a man, has to actually cheat and touch him on the hip socket until he goes limp. Unbelievable. And God turns around and says, you, Jacob, are no longer Jacob. You're no longer deceiver. Your name is Israel because you've contended with God and won. That's what Israel means. You have prevailed with God. You have won. And so Jesus is making the statement, here is a true Israelite. You are not a deceiver, Nathaniel. For your namesake of your patriarch who wrestled with God and won, you yourself are truly a man who has wrestled with God and won. In you there is nothing false. When you question who I am, you said, Jesus of Nazareth, you still came because you wanted to check it out. Despite your skepticism, despite your doubt, you went ahead and seen and tasted that God is good. You were hungry enough to seek this out. I want to tell you that God is seeing things in you that you can't even see in yourself. You have doubted yourself. And I know as I've been preaching and challenging you, go and speak to the lost. Go and have a conversation with the lost. Bring them to Jesus. Bring them to church on a Sunday. How does a church grow? It comes by people bringing. We can pray, and let me tell you, God's amazing. He gets, he gets fish to jump into the boat, but that's not how fishermen rely on their fishing, okay? Would you agree with that? That you'd be a pretty poor fisherman if you're actually having to go on your knees and just praying for fish to jump in. God's saying, throw the net. Isn't that what he said to Peter and the, apostles and the disciples? Throw your net on the right-hand side. We've been throwing it right, left, right, left. What does it matter? Throw it on the right-hand side. The Bible says they obeyed. Because you said it, you obeyed. And the ship almost sunk with the amount of catch at. Twice Jesus did that. Jesus demonstrated that he could see beyond limitations. And when God says, come and see, he's trying to say, I'm trying to get you to see beyond your limitations, beyond your self-doubt. You think, I can't do this. I'm not an evangelist. I'm not a pastor. I'm not a leader. No, you are a man of God. No, you're a woman of God. Have a conversation. Tell them, come and see. They don't believe you. Tell them your story. Tell them what it was like before Jesus. Tell them how you got saved. And tell them what life was like after Jesus. And then tell them what life would have been like if you did not know Jesus today. I don't think I would be alive today. I'm telling you now. God is my witness. I was a nihilist. I thought, what's the point? If there is no God, there's no purpose in life, then what's the point? I, I don't want to deal with the failures. That's why so many young people today are taking their lives. In this nation, we have the greatest suicide rate per capita than any other nation of the world. Let me begin to draw this to a close. Verse 48. How do you know me, Nathaniel asked. You weren't there. You didn't see where I was. Jesus said this. I saw you while you were still under the fig tree before Philip called you. You see that? Jesus operated in a seer gift. He wasn't physically there, but in spirit, he saw. He saw Nathaniel under that tree. Just whatever he was thinking, probably thinking about God, probably wondering about the Messiah, waiting for the conversation that he was unexpected when Philip came to him. Jesus saw it all. 
Is it possible that Jesus has already seen your future? And that it's a good future if you will yield to Him. If you will do the things He's called you to do, the beginning stuff. This is your destiny. This is your legacy. This is the thing that will make you smile when you wake up in the morning. This is the thing that will make you just laugh as you go to bed at night. Oh, I brought that person to the Lord. I can't believe it. Wow. I love just having conversations with people. Sometimes they won't give their life to the Lord at that moment. But, you know, I'm just a little match. You know, they're the bomb. I just lit the match and now they're messed up. They're like, uh, you know, lady on a plane who was an atheist to begin with and talking about Jesus and talking about creation. And by the time we were done, she wasn't a Christian, but she was an agnostic. She was no longer an atheist. She realized that is so foolish. I agree with you. I lit a bomb. I lit a match. And the Holy Spirit is going to finish the work. Why don't we stand to our feet as we finish this morning? Verse 49, then Nathanael declared, Rabbi, I'm convinced you are the son of God. You are the king of Israel. None of the others said this. He literally says, I recognize you as a son of God. You are not just a man. You are God incarnate. Such revelation because Jesus called out a word in season. I want to challenge you with that thought. That as you begin to share the gospel... There are people just waiting and they're probably wrestling with God. They don't know how to pray yet. You know, if you're, if you're real, God, you bring someone to me and you were that person at the right place at the right time simply because you said, yes. Yes, you are my master. I'm just your servant. Whatever you want, you get. Because my greatest days will come by serving him. Would you bow your heads and close your eyes with me? Hallelujah. You don't know yet what God is going to do with your life. Last week I shared the story of Edward Kimball, a 41-year-old man who was diagnosed with a disease that he was going to die from. And so he decided, I'm going to make sure that every person, every kid in my Sunday school is going to give their life to Jesus, all but one. And he had to chase him down to a shoe store where he worked and wept over him as he says, don't you know that Jesus loves you? Don't you know that he has a plan and purpose for your life? Why won't you come to him? What's keeping you from running to him? What's keeping you from receiving eternal life? And Moody was so broken by this. So moved by the love of this man and so that it convinced him of the love of Christ and he gave his life to the Lord that day. The story goes on that Moody became an international speaker. He wasn't just a Christian. He became a well-known international speaker. And he preached all over the world, and he happened to come across a little chapel pastored by a young man named Frederick Meyer in his sermon. He told the story of his Sunday school teacher, Edward Kimball. That so moved this pastor and changed his ministry that it inspired him to become an evangelist like Moody. I've got to win souls. I've got to win souls. As many people as God gives me, I will win souls. Meyer became a preacher, eventually preached in America, in Northfield, Massachusetts. 
where a young preacher heard him say, if you are not willing to give up everything for Christ, are you willing to be made willing? That remark led Wilbur Chapman to respond to God's call on his life. Wilbur went on to become an effective evangelist, and he enlisted the help of a then very famous baseball player, Billy Sunday, a volunteer who volunteered to help him on his crusades. This baseball player learned. He loved the Lord. He learned how to preach. And one day, Chapman gave him a go, and he took over Chapman's ministry. Let me keep going. And he began to preach the gospel, bringing thousands to Christ himself. Inspired, it doesn't end here, inspired by Billy's Sunday crusade in Charlotte, North Carolina. A group of Christian men dedicated themselves to reaching a city, reaching the lost for Christ. And they invited an evangelist, Mordecai Ham, to come and hold a series of evangelistic meetings. The year was 1932, and a local farmer used his pickup truck and brought his neighbors, including two young boys who worked for him, who drove the car to get to this crusade. And that evening, the preacher seemed to be shouting and waving his finger at this little young man. Night after night, that teenager kept coming back and finally on the last night he came forward and gave his life to Christ that teenager was known as Billy Graham you gotta give a hand to the Lord but it started with the Sunday school teacher who was sold out for Jesus. I have to reach every single person. I have to bring them to the Lord. The people in my life, I must bring them to the Lord. Before I die, I need to make sure I bring them to the Lord. As God gives me breath, I will tell them, come and see. Come and see. Will you bow your heads and close your eyes with me? This might be the first time the message of the gospel has finally reached your heart. has gone to the depths of your soul and you recognize that you are a sinner. But that God has a plan and a purpose for your life. Perhaps today you've called yourself a Christian by name only, but you have not exalted the name of Jesus in your life. Perhaps you are that person that you have not yet shared the gospel with anyone. And today is a day of reckoning where God is saying, I'm calling my children. I'm calling my sheep. My sheep know me by name. They know me by my voice and they will follow me. If you haven't been following then today, I would like to give you an opportunity to recommit your, your life to Christ. This might be a first time. This might be a tenth time. It doesn't matter. I'm going to count th- to three. And everyone right now who has been moved by the Holy Spirit, I want you to raise your hands. Respond to the Holy Spirit. You are not responding to me. You are responding to the Holy Spirit. On the count of three, I want you to raise your hands. Every eye closed, every head bowed as I look around this room. On one, two, three. If that's you, I want you to raise your hand. Lift it up nice and high. Be proud of this. God is moving right now. The Spirit of God is moving in this place. I see that hand. God bless you. I see that hand to my right. I see that hand in the middle. God bless you. I see that hand in the back. I see those hands in the front. God bless you. God bless you. God bless you. Is there anybody else? Just three more seconds. Do not miss this moment on three. One, two. Thank you. I see that hand. God bless you. Wow. The young ones are putting up their hands. Can I get everyone to raise their hands with me this morning? We're going to come into a, a, a 
an act of surrender. That's what the hands are raised for. Jesus is saying, stop running. You keep running and running and running. You're so busy about life. It's so busy what you think being a Christian is all about. So busy trying to be a good husband. So busy trying to be a good wife. So busy trying to be a good employee. But God says, you're mine first. You're my son. You're my daughter. For every person that raised their hands this morning, recommitting your life to Jesus, this might be a first time. But I want everyone in this church to say this prayer with me. Would you pray with me, church? Repeat after me. Dear Heavenly Father, I need everyone in the church to pray with me. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you for loving me. Even when I failed you, you were faithful. Please forgive me my sins. and Wash away my guilt. Fill me with your spirit so that I can live for you. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's give a hand to the Lord this morning and to those who were courageously raising their hands.